being a follower of Jesus is costly. And followers of Jesus for the last several thousand years means that you are going to be persecuted. It means you're going to face hardship. It means that you're going to have people who are not going to like you and who will even work against you. For 2,000 years, kings, czars, governments, emperors have sought to destroy Christianity. You see, as followers of Jesus, we believe that there is a king greater than Caesar. We believe that there is a Lord who is greater than any monarch. And the declaration, Jesus is Lord, is a threat to anyone in power. Furthermore, the message that we must all give an account before the sovereign king, that's never going to be a popular message amongst the unregenerate. You see, for those who do not know Jesus, the warning of coming judgment is a daunting reality that they do not want to hear. From Nero to Mao Zedong, since the church began in Acts 2, persecution is a normal pattern of life for those who belong to Jesus. Jesus warned us that persecution is coming for those who belong to him. He told us in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus told the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Throughout the ages and throughout the world, persecution is normal for followers of Jesus. According to the 2022 report from Open Doors, persecution of Christians has reached the highest levels since it has been accumulating data over the last three decades. In 2022, 360 million Christians have faced persecution, harassment, or discrimination, which is a 20% increase since 2014. The question is, how are Christians supposed to respond to suffering and persecution when it comes to our lives? We're going to respond in the same way that the apostles did in Acts chapter 12. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 12. 
We are returning to our study of the book of Acts together as a faith family. We have spent 46 messages going through the first 11 chapters of this great historical work. And what we have seen so far is that what Jesus said in Acts 1.8 is true. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, the true prophet of God, was proven right for in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. 3,000 people believed the gospel and the church was born. From there, the church began to mature and to grow right there in the heart of Jerusalem. All the way up through chapter 6, but in chapter 7, we have the first tragedy, the first martyr. Stephen is stoned to death for his faith in Jesus, for his bold proclamation before the Sanhedrin. From there, in Acts chapter 8, the church scatters. They run for their lives. But as they are fleeing Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, they're preaching the word. The gospel is going forth, just as Jesus said it would, that there would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into the ends of the earth. But when we get to Acts chapters 10 and 11, we discover that the gospel is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for the Gentiles. The gospel is for all people of all nations. But then another wave of persecution comes crashing up against the church. And what we see in Acts 12 is a martyr a miracle, and multiplication. And I want you to see it with me here in Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And the scripture says this. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of, them, in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jew, Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing out at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. 
motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and he went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The the assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. There is so much to see here in the text. But for our time this morning, I want us to notice how persecution came against the early church, how they responded, and what this means for you and me. The first thing I want you to see in the text is the passionate persecution against God's people. The text says King Herod, verse 1, violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Like his grandfather, Herod the Great, who killed boys two years and under in Bethlehem trying to destroy the the rival king, his grandson, Herod Agrippa, here in Acts 12, is doing the same thing. Motivated to win the favor of Jewish authorities, Herod attacked the people that the Jews hated the most, the Christians, these Christ followers, these followers of the way. So he attacks the church, and not only that, he executes James, the brother of John, with a sword. This is the first martyr of one of the 12 apostles. Herod was bloodthirsty. He was praised by the Jews, which means his ego was stroked, and it solidified his political power and position as a ruler. So when a really big Jewish holiday arrives, verse 3, when thousands upon thousands of Jews gather in Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Agrippa arrests Peter. His plan to execute Peter, verse 4, in front of all the Jewish pilgrims in town for the festival. Now we must not forget, this is the third time that Peter's been arrested. We saw it back in Acts chapter 4, it was back in chapter 5. Peter has continually been arrested. You see, persecution is nothing new for the church. In fact, the prosperity and the protection that we here in the West experience is a rare experience in comparison to what brothers and sisters of ours experience over the past 2,000 years and around the world. You see, seasons of prosperity as believers is not permanent. You see, faithfulness means following Jesus when it is easy and when it is costly. Faithfulness to Jesus means we're going to trust him. We're going to follow him in season and out of season. It's fun to follow Jesus when it's popular. 
It's fun to follow Jesus when it wins you votes, when it gets you a promotion. But will you follow Jesus when it costs you? When you get passed over for the promotion? When you become the butt of other people's jokes? When people begin to mock you and belittle you in the classroom or on the ball field or in the neighborhood or on Facebook? Are you going to keep being a passionate, bold witness for Jesus when it means you're no longer popular or invited to the parties or invited to corporate social events? You see, following Jesus is going to cost you. Just this week, a staff member at Westwood, his adult child, who is a business owner and leader, he lost a business deal because of his bold witness for Jesus. His business was affected because of his faith in Christ. So when you face persecution, discrimination, when someone rises up against you, how are you going to respond? I invite you to hear the words of Jesus, who says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hear me. When persecution comes, we're not going to flinch. We're not backing down. We're not walking away. We're staying faithful to Jesus. Why? We're following Jesus not for an easy life. You're not following Jesus because it's going to be easy and life is always going to be awesome. That's not how it works. We follow Jesus because we need forgiveness of our sin. We follow Jesus so that we can have his righteousness to stand faultless before the throne of God. We follow Jesus because without his mercy, we are in terrible trouble. We are a people who cling tight to Jesus, not for ease of life, but for the righteousness he gives us by faith in him. We follow Jesus and it's going to cost us. The question is, are you going to walk away? If you are following Jesus only for his benefits, eventually you're going to walk away from Jesus. We follow Jesus to get Jesus. He is the goal. He is the prize. He is our joy. He is our peace with God. And he is the peace of God inside of us as we face trials. You see, the gospel calls us to turn away from sin and to trust in Jesus by faith. That he is the one who came and gave his life for you at the cross. That you are so loved by God that Jesus bled and died on your behalf so that you can be forgiven of all of your sin. Jesus came to set you free from sin and death and hell and the grave. And he was buried, but he doesn't stay dead. For on the third day, Jesus comes back to life. He is raised to life. And all who trust in him by faith are rescued forever. This is what the gospel gives to us. And it's a free gift. It's grace. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's freely given to you by God in the gospel. All you've got to do is receive it. Like a child getting a Christmas gift on Christmas morning. You open the gift, you receive it, and you say, thank you. You honor the giver. God has given you the greatest gift in his son. 
Today, grab hold of Christ. Believe the gospel. Trust in him. So when you face hardship and trial, not if, but when, when you face suffering and even persecution for your faith in Jesus, you remain faithful to the end. See, so when the church is attacked, verse 1, when brothers and sisters are executed for their faith in Christ, verse 2, we stand firm in the faith. Do you realize how dangerous you are against the kingdom of darkness? If you're going to be a bold witness for Jesus, do you realize how dangerous you are? Look at verse 4. Herod secures Peter with 16 soldiers. Four squads of four soldiers. They didn't want him escaping again like he did back in chapter 5 when the angel opened the gate for him to get out. But can a maximum security prison stop God from being God? God is still able, amen. God is still able to work miracles. The one who sustains the cosmos by the word of his power, the one who can roll back a stone from an empty tomb, is also the one who can get his people out of prison. Well, what's the church doing while this is happening? Well, God was listening and working through, number two, the prayer-soaked protection of the church for Simon Peter. The church was praying fervently, verse 5. There was an intensity to their prayers. They're crying out to God on behalf of their leader and their shepherd. And look how God responds. As Peter is sleeping between two soldiers, okay, with 14 other guards surrounding him, an angel of the Lord wakes him up and it's a jailbreak. And the next thing he knows, Peter has gone from death row to dancing in the streets. And when he comes to his senses, he makes a beeline to Mary's house, which is John Mark's mom, which means the church probably gathered there regularly there. And they're having a prayer meeting on Peter's behalf, verse 12. And little did they know that God had already answered their prayer. God had already gone before them. Peter is on the front doorstep. Hear me on this. God loves to hear you pray. One of the lies the enemy may whisper to you is that God doesn't love you and that God does not listen to you when you are praying. That is a lie. And you may be going through a season where you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and going no farther. May I say to you, they're going a lot farther than you think. For God loves to hear you pray. He bends his ear. He leans in and rejoices when you seek his face in prayer. And when you do pray, do not be surprised when he answers. The church is shocked that Peter is outside the door. Do not be surprised when God answers your prayer. Before I became senior pastor here at Westwood, I was the student pastor here for five years. And there was one teenager in particular, his name was Taylor, who I invested a lot into this young man. I prayed for him regularly. And he just continually just kept making bad choice after bad choice, ending up in jail, um, getting involved in drugs, just making really stupid decisions. But I kept praying. His mama kept praying. His grandparents kept praying. Graduation happens, and I rarely ever see him. Three weeks ago, this big giant of a man, six foot six, walks up to me right over here and gives me a big bear hug. 
And he begins to tell me that he is a follower of Jesus now. He's serving his church up in Nashville. He's a home builder. He and his wife have a baby on the way. And then I began to tear up as he pulled out his phone and showed me a picture of a foster child that they are helping raise and take care of. And as he's walking me through all the things that God is doing in his life, I sat there just with thanksgiving, like, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you for hearing my cry. You may have a prodigal, someone you love who just keeps making stupid decisions. Don't stop praying. God is listening and God is working. And don't be like me and be surprised when God hears your prayer. And as I sat over there, I thought, why am I surprised by this? This is what God does. He answers the prayers of his people. And here is Peter standing at the door, knocking, letting the church know, I'm here. They're in such an uproar. They can't believe what's happening. They're overwhelmed with excitement. And they cause such a ruckus that Peter's like, shh, I don't want to go back. Right? Be quiet. He encourages them, and then Peter escapes. And we don't see Peter again for the rest of the book of Acts, except when he makes a cameo appearance in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. From this point forward, the focus that Luke gives is no longer on Peter. He's going to begin making the focus on the Apostle Paul. As for Herod, his time for humbling finally comes, which is number three, the punishment for self-exalting pride. Herod goes to his beach house in Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea. The people of Tyre and Sidon, these are two cities on the Mediterranean coast, north uh, of where Caesarea is. It's the land of Phoenicia. It's uh, modern-day Lebanon. These are the people who come down to see Herod. They need peace with him because their nation gets their food from him. And so Herod sees this as an opportunity to flex his greatness. All right, Jewish historian Josephus who's not a follower of Jesus, but who's a historian from the first century. He, he records a lot of things that happened during that, that, that time period of the first century. He records what happened here in Acts 12. He says that Herod was in the amphitheater wearing royal garments made entirely of silver. So last month, I was at this amphitheater. I've got a picture I'll show you of the amphitheater. This is the amphitheater. I'm sitting almost where, where Herod was sitting, and that's the, the Mediterranean Sea out in the distance. You could see the amphitheater here where there's, there's a place, a stage for, for plays and dramas and music. And then and there's one more picture I'll, I'll show you real quick. You can kind of see that the inside. But if you can look right in the middle, it's kind of hard to see. Right in the middle, that's where Herod would sit. Best seat in the house. And that's where he is here in Acts 12. And as he's sitting there with his royal garment made entirely of silver, with the sun possibly reflecting off of his robe, he's shining brightly for all to see. It's a type of glory. The crowd begins to cry out after listening to his speech that he is the voice of a God. And an angel of the Lord struck him because, verse 23, he did not give glory to God. Hear me on this. Pride is deadly. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. 
God is jealous for his glory. He will not allow anyone to exalt themselves over him. You see, sin is where we exalt ourselves over God. We're choosing what we want rather than submitting to his good gifts to us. Pride is deadly. But may I also say to you, chapter 12 is also a great reminder that no one, no one, no one gets away with anything before the all-seeing eye of God. And though crime and sin often takes place in the cover of dark, God sees it all pure as day. And one day, Hebrews 4, all things will be laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And though the wicked think they can get away with sin scot-free, they do not. God sees, God knows, and God will hold to an account either in this life or in the life to come. As for Herod, he exalts himself, so God humbles him. But you see, there's an even greater punishment for Herod here than being struck by worms. His rejection of Christ leads to an eternity of punishment in hell. And hell is real. Not my words. Jesus' words. Jesus, more than 20 times in the Gospels, mentions fire in regards to hell. In Mark 9, Jesus describes hell as a real place, a place of eternal torment where the fire never goes out. In Matthew 8, 12, Jesus described hell as outer darkness. In Matthew 13, Jesus describes hell as a place full of pain where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Luke 16, Jesus describes hell as a place where there is no exit and there is no comfort. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Thankfully, God has made a way out. God has made a way of escape. God has provided a rescue for you to put your faith in Jesus, to be rescued from the judgment that is to come. This is why Christ came to give his life for you at the cross. He died in your place to set you free so that when you are hidden in him, hell is off the table. You have eternity with him. That Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see how precious this gospel is? You see, for Herod and for others who have died without Christ, it's too late. But it's not too late for you. If you're still living and breathing, it's not too late. You still have an opportunity right now to believe the gospel, to trust in Christ, to bank your soul upon him. And hear me, there's nothing more important than this. Are you banking your soul upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Are you saying, Jesus, I'm trusting in you to save me. I'm not trusting in my good works. I'm not trusting in my religious actions. Jesus, I'm trusting you and you alone. Those who trust in him, you will be saved. Jesus promises this. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. You can jump kingdoms today. You can go from death to life by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus by faith. This is the gospel that is open to anybody and everybody. And Westwood, this gospel is so precious and we've got to get it to the nations and to our neighbors. Last month, I introduced to you Lift. This is a strategy in which we are going to get the gospel to those who have never heard, to the nations and our neighbors through Lift Global, Lift Local, and Lift Churches, different strategies that we're going to use to see the gospel get to those who have never heard. This is so precious and vital. But the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. If we are lazy, lethargic, or keep it to ourselves, then others are going to miss the opportunity See how vital this mission is and how precious this gospel is? Here's the good news. Even when persecution comes, the gospel goes forth. We see fourthly right here in the text, the prosperity of the word. I love verse 24. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. Hear me on this. God's plans and purposes cannot be thwarted, even by persecution. The church continued to grow even in the midst of persecution and martyrdom. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, not even the gates of hell shall overcome the church. God, God proves it once again right here in verses 24 and 25. And as Barnabas and Saul bring a relief offering from the church at Antioch to the church in Jerusalem, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, he joins the mission team and the gospel goes forth. So Kenneth, what can we learn from this? Right here in this present day, at such a time as this, what can we take away from this text? I want to present to you three things. Three ways to respond to persecution. The first is this, rest in God's sovereign care. Did you see what Peter was doing as he sat on death row? Look at verse 6. He's sleeping like a baby. He's asleep. In fact, he's in such a deep sleep, the angel has to like shake his chest to wake him up. Hey, wait, Peter, wake up. It's time to go, right? When hardship comes your way, you can sleep well at night because your confidence is not in your circumstances. Your confidence is in Christ. Your confidence is not based upon what you're having to face in this life. Your confidence is out of the reach of this world. It's said of Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher and revivalist. His congregation was continually trying to fire him, and eventually they did, and yet they still needed him to preach every Sunday. What was said about him is that they said his happiness was out of the reach of his enemies. Is your happiness out of the reach of those who come against you? If you're putting your happiness on your circumstances, on your bank account, on your popularity, on how well things are going in your life, may I say to you, life's going to be really, really hard. Put your confidence not in yourself or your circumstances, but plant them on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your confidence and joy is in Christ, you can sleep like a baby even on death row. The second thing. We respond with prayer. The response to persecution is prayer. 
Verse five, while Peter was kept in prison, the church was praying fervently, passionately, intensely for him. You see, suffering awakens a sleepy church to pray. Persecution heightens and compels God's people in desperate prayer. You've experienced this as a believer. That when life gets really hard, what do you do? You run to the Lord. God, I've got to have you, Lord. Here's my trial. Here's my situation. I need you to work. I need you to act. And the Lord loves when we are dependent upon him. He often will orchestrate, even ordain hardship in our lives to bring us closer to himself. And what do we do? We begin to pray. We seek his face. What do we pray for? Put in your notes three things. We pray for our enemies. We pray that God would soften their heart to the gospel, that God would open their eyes to see the hope of Jesus, that God would save them. That's what Stephen was praying as his persecutors were throwing rocks and stones at him. He's praying, God, please don't hold this sin against them. And who's there throwing the rocks? Saul of Tarsus, right? We pray for endurance. God, help me to endure, to count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds. You pray for faithfulness. God, I don't want to walk away from you. Jesus, I've got to have you. I want to finish well. I want to be sprinting across the finish line. God, I want to be faithful to the end. The third thing is rely on God's greater purposes. We see it right here in the text. That even with martyrdom and persecution, verses 24 and 25, the gospel goes forth. God has bigger purposes and plans than we can possibly see. When you are going through hardship, God is up to something bigger than you can see. You keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus and you trust him that he is working in ways that you can't even begin to fathom. We keep trusting him. And as for those who persecute, as those who rise up against us, we entrust them to the Lord. As for Herod, after he dies, the church that he persecuted lives on. The church continues to march forward. Y'all, here's the reality. Herod is dead. Nero is dead. Mao Zedong is dead. Jesus is alive. And so is his church. And though people rise up against us, our hope is founded, based, and rooted on the Lord Jesus Christ who promises not even the gates of hell shall overcome us. Let's keep following Jesus through hardship, through trial, and through persecution.